So chapter one of Infinite Jest is called Year of Glad. Um, at this point in the book, it's not exactly clear why it's called Year of Glad, but I promise you it will become clear. Yeah, so it starts out with uh, introducing our m main character for this storyline, at least, what I assume is the main character, at least, um, called Hal Incandenza. He is this 18-year-old, soon-to-be high school graduate, and turns out he's pretty good at tennis, plays tennis, uh, what is revealed to be at the local, national, and continental level, or at least he's ranked there. And, um, yeah, so he's applying to the University of, of Arizona. And right now, in this scene, which Hal is so uh, <laughs> clearly setting out for us, he is sitting in an interview with the deans at the university, the deans of academic affairs, the dean of athletic affairs, and the dean of admissions, in addition to the director of composition and the the varsity tennis coach. Those are sort of the the opponents that he has in the room. And then on his side, he has the pro-rector of his, of tennis, I guess, the pro-rector of tennis at his, at his high school, his academy, as it's called. It's like a boarding school. And he also has the headmaster on his side. So they're sort of vouching for him here. They're talking about how he, how good he is at tennis. And um, they're talking about how brilliant his essays are. And um, the deans are agreeing. Yeah, like they're like, yeah, this kid is brilliant. But then they bring forth the fact that this kid is he has bad test scores, like standardized test scores, um, and they are not congruent with with his with his high school grades and with his essays. Like this looks like a store bought application, so to speak. And they're afraid that they could be accused of using this kid, right? Like, you could easily be accused of using this kid for athletic gain, right? Like, um, because universities actually do that quite a bit. And uh, these guys are very reasonable in that. Like, of course you don't want... You, of course you want a kid who can actually keep up, right? Academically, because he's going to be first and foremost a student, not, a, not an athlete at this university. So... The deans eventually convince uh, Hal's uncle, who's the headmaster, I think, yeah, and his coach to leave the room so that they can more closely grill him alone. And so they do, and uh, it is revealed uh, that Hal is very, very nervous the whole time. I don't think he can speak for some reason. Um, might be some sort of emotional trauma. I don't know. It's not revealed yet. Uh, but yeah, he's getting very nervous, uh, as, as they keep hinting at how they want to talk to him alone. In fact, it's even, um, mentioned that he's been coached. Yeah, coached about this. Like, he's been through an ordeal of, say, training where he's been taught to sort of let the questions bounce off of it. It's also revealed that this kid is actually very smart. Like, the way he describes the room is very, very eloquent. Uh, I'm actually a little afraid that that's just David Foster Wallace uh, talking through him, and I'm afraid of how the rest of the characters are going to be sort of in the way they describe their situation. Like I hope they're they don't all this. I hope they don't all sound the same. I really do. 
That would be a shame. But yeah, so this kid is very smart. He even notices that the word exit, which he sees on that, like an exit sign, uh, means he leaves in Latin. Like he just makes sort of a, a passing observation, which is funny. I find that funny. I think he does too. He has a bit of a snarly sort of uh, uh, attitude, and he likes to pick out how even like the head of composition is using his words not so grammatically, <laughs> right? What what I find a little funny is, or at least interesting, is that uh, I'm just flicking through the book to find it. Here we go. Uh, the essays that he submitted for his application, the titles are, are bizarre. Um, the first one is mentioned to be Neoclassical Assumptions in Contemporary Prescriptor Grammar, which is plausible. Like, that sounds like a plausible title. I don't know. I'm not sure if it... I'm not a linguist, so I can't say for certain, but it sounds plausible. The second one, however, is a little, let's say, dubious. Uh, because I happen to know what one of the things mean, at least. The title is The Implications of Post-Fourier Transformations for a Holographically Mimetic Cinema. Uh, yeah, this one's weird because I don't know what a post-Fourier transform is. I know what a Fourier transform is, but post-Fourier? Not, so, not so sure. Maybe it is a thing, but these read like gibberish. But yeah, these are exotic titles, let's say, for essays written by a high school student. And um, this kid looks like he has a bit of an ego. So yeah, as the defenders are leaving the room, that is to say his uncle and his tennis coach are leaving the room, he, I think he begins to talk, or he's at least asked to talk. Okay, yeah, he does actually say the grades prior to that are de, de moi, which means like they are mine, and he does say that I cannot make myself understood now, call it something I ate. It's like, yeah, he's saying, he's trying to say at least, because it's mentioned here, I am speaking slowly and distinctly. He's trying to say that he can't really talk. And then it just breaks into him telling us, the reader, a flashback. So I'll get to reading that, and then I'll get back to you guys. Okay, so I'm back. Um, I read the rest of the chapter, and it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> it was only seven more pages. But yeah, so right after he starts to speak to these um, these deans... Uh, he goes into a tiny flashback where he talks about, well, first he says, um, I cannot make myself understood now, I'm speaking slowly and distinctly, call it something I ate, right? Uh, and then the flashback begins where he describes his elder brother, Orin, describing one afternoon where he was helping, where Orin was helping their mother till their garden, and then little Hal comes out of the house. He's basically a baby at that point, like a toddler, I guess. And he's saying that he ate some mold, right? And uh, it's really hard to say exactly what the significance of this is, other than <laughs> the direct relation to call it something I ate, right? It just ends in their mother calling out in their suburb or whatever that their kid ate this piece of mold. Like, there isn't much substance to this flashback, but there's a lot of, like, descriptive qualities here. Like, they just show how this guy likes to write. Just so much detail and so much... So much what feels like nonsense sometimes. Like, why is this even here? But I guess I'm just a minimalistic guy, and 
Mr. Wallace is the, the polar opposite. So anyways, the flashback finishes and then we're back to hearing what's happening in this room. He tells them that his application is not bought and he says that he has an intricate history and he has experiences and feelings and that he's complex and that he reads a lot, that he, he consumes libraries, as he says. And he feels and believes, and then he does the pseudo-intellectual explanation of, oh, he believes that the influence of Shirkigur on Camus is underestimated in this kind of, you know, intellectual speak. Then, let's see. Yeah, the deans are just in disgust, or they're just sort of flabbergasted. They're saying, sweet mother of Christ, and they're saying, good God. And what's wrong? It's really hard to tell what's happening here because they're not being very descriptive. No no one is, not even the author is. But it turns out this guy is like, I guess he's making weird noises with his mouth and he's flailing, flailing his hands or arms or whatever, his body maybe. And then he's, it turns out he's like wrestled to the floor. <laughs> uh, a really funny line here is, both my arms are pinioned from behind by the director of, of composition who wrestles me roughly down on roughly down on me with all his weight and then full stop and then I taste floor which is I find that hilarious and so let's see yeah and then his uncle and his uh, coach sort of rush back in uh, demanding to let go of Hal while the directors and the deans are sort of <laughs> telling him to get a grip and to uh, and saying that well, it sounds like they call an ambulance on this guy. And then there's a sort of a... Now now uh, Hal is sort of talking to us again, and it looks like he's talking about men's rooms, and he describes how he likes the scents, the citrus scent, and he likes the, the exposed plumbing and the sound of a ceaseless trickle echoing against wet porcelain and a cold tile floor whose mosaic pattern looks almost Islamic at this close range. Close range, signifying maybe that he's <laughs> maybe on the floor. Um, and yeah, he is on the floor, it looks like. And he he says he he's sort of in his mind, concentrating docilely on the question why U.S. restrooms always appear to us as infirmaries for public distress, the place to regain control, which is... Which is, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, if you have seen the TV show, um, what's it called? Better Call Saul. That is exactly what happens, right? This guy, uh, Saul, in the show, this lawyer, he resorts to a restroom when he's not feeling... I think it's in the middle of him making a case, trying to protect the kids. Anyways, uh, that's a that's a sidetrack. Yeah, Hal is just lying there, and the deans are talking to his uncle and his coach, and they're arguing about how this kid is uh, like an animal. Uh, he's making sub-animalistic noises and sounds uh, and gestures. The boy is damaged, like a stick of butter being hit with a mallet, a writhing animal with a knife in its eye. What were you possibly about trying to en enroll this <laughs> and, and his arms? What I really like about um, the writing style in this chapter is that, uh, well, first of all, it was very, actually, in the beginning, it was very, um, 
annoying was that people's dialogue would begin mid-sentence. It would start with like this end dash and then it would end with an end dash. Uh, sometimes it would actually be sort of a continuation with like a little... Sometimes the, like the dialogue would break mid-sentence and then you know, there would be like a comment and then it would continue or uh, it would be just like starting from uh, from the middle of a sentence. In the beginning, it seems annoying, but once you try to understand what, it, what the author is trying to do, you realize that what's being shown is that maybe the the protagonist here, Hal, is not actually paying attention to full sentences. He's only noticing <laughs> some of them, right? He's only noticing half of the sentence or only after it's begun, which can happen when you're nervous or when you're um, just distracted, right? Uh, but yeah, back to what's happening in the chapter over here. Just more descriptions uh, of his behavior. And they keep saying that he needs care. They're saying that he cannot sort of participate in college life. And then somebody, I don't know who is saying this. It's pro possibly his coach. Is saying that on court he's gorgeous, possibly a genius. We had no idea. The brothers in the bloody NFL, for God's sake. He's a top player, we thought, with Southwest roots. So this guy, he's good at tennis, and he's good at reading, but he has this... Yeah, they say right here that he's a some kind of athletic savant, then. They keep saying that he's that his, uh, his uncle is trying to disguise all of these problems. And his uncle is arguing that Hal functions if he's given a if he's given a supportive situation, and that yes, he has some trouble with excitability in conversation. <laughs> but they reply with saying that they witness something only marginally mammalian in there, <laughs> which is yeah, which is pretty funny. And then I think we cut to um, Hal being sort of taken out of the the university grounds or the university campus. Uh, in a stretcher or like in an ambulance and it, there's a lot going on in here but there's like an ambulance summoned with an MD on board like a psycho psychology MD on board there's just a lot going on in here and it's really hard for me to summarize but there's this one really cool line that I liked here where he sees like a jet in the sky and the trail he describes the contrail of the jet is described as um a scalpel or a knife sort of cutting the sky open revealing white meat which is the clouds which is a really cool way to describe contrails and there's just so much what i personally would call gibberish in this in the chapter's end and um i hope i hope so much that it all makes sense later and that's what people say when I read about about this book, that yes, it does make sense towards the end. And like the first 200 pages are just, just annoying. And that's how this chapter really ends rather annoyingly because there's just, there's like one coherent, like two or three pages of just like a wall of text with no even like paragraphs or indents or anything. So yeah, this chapter ended a little weirdly. Uh, hopefully the next one will be better. I definitely enjoyed it anyways because the way this guy describes things is very, very sharp. So yeah, thanks for listening and uh, I'll catch you next time.